was in, in so I mean my god just, I didn't even listen to the guitar it was just like pure magic it was so inspirational it was pure magic like I still like literally still I, I can't it's so magical to me I can't put it into words I just love it and it's just it just sounds like pure fairy dust This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. Timoney's involvement in and impact on the Washington, D.C. indie music scene dates back to her first band, Autoclave, in the early 1990s. Her next project, Helium, was formed in the Boston area after her graduation from Boston University and was highly and widely regarded in indie circles, releasing five records on esteemed New York label Matador Records. She has since gone on to record several solo records as well as start the band X-Hex and join Wild Flag, a project involving members of Slater Kinney. Her first solo record, Mountains, was recently reissued by Matador in celebration of its 20th anniversary. The first song Timothy chose as being formative for her was One Rainy Wish by Jimi Hendrix. So first of all, it was really interesting that 
to think of, uh, you know, like songs that I retain like in this way because um, it was really hard to separate out like songs that made an impact on me as a musician from songs that I love the most. <laughs> and it was, yeah, um, they aren't necessarily all like, one of the songs I chose is definitely an all-time favorite. And the other two, like, I, I wouldn't really put in that category, but it's just, I just have, like, really, you know, I had really strong reactions to them when I heard them, which is exactly what your podcast is about. But it was an interesting exercise to think about. But um, but anyway, so so it was cool. But, um, but yeah, so the first one I chose, um, this Hendrix tune. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Hendrix is definitely my all-time number one musician and just uh always has been and um he's in a category for for a lot of people obviously and and for me that he's just you know he it's like there's people that are good at things and then there's people that are just like a hundred times as good you know and to me I mean, the, obviously he was in that cat. He's just, he was a complete genius. And, um, but anyway, um, and I know everybody knows that, but it's, I don't know. He's just beyond. So anyway, so I, I chose this song cause I, I guess like, uh, Hmm. It rep it. Okay. So I had like, I didn't listen to a ton of music growing up. Like my parents weren't like totally, you know, they weren't like record collectors and like, they listened to like classical radio and stuff. And, um, but, it, and also my mom, oh, one weird thing is my mom really discouraged my brother and I from buying records cause they were too big. <laughs> so, so we could, we could only buy cassettes, even though we did sneak in some records and my dad had records. I don't know what her deal was, but she just didn't, she doesn't like stuff. So, so we weren't like, yeah, we weren't like, oh, she like really discouraged us from buying records. So, so anyway, I had some, I had like found this Hendrix cassette uh, of my brother's. And then I think I, um, I think both of them were my brother. I had access full of love and our experienced and like, I just got a Walkman and it was like, it just like changed my life because the first time in my life, like I could listen to music like in my ears. And it, I don't know, it's just like, probably doesn't make sense to people now because that's the only way, you know, one of the main ways we probably all listen to music is like intimately in your ear, you know, inside of your ears, <laughs> the speakers are like, but anyway, so that was a huge thing. I had a Walkman. I just like remember walking around in the spring of like 1987. I was in 10th, oh, sorry, 11th grade. I was like a really depressed kid for a lot of my, you know, growing up, really pretty, you know, I was a sad kid, I, but I finally, like I got into guitar and um, that really helped me out of my depression. And I started going to this art school in DC, which is um, Ellington School for the Arts and studying guitar there. And um, for the first time in my life, I felt like really hopeful because I was working on something that I loved and um, I, I 
felt like if I worked on it hard enough, I'd get better at it. And it was just a very hopeful feeling. So all this stuff is like, I'm telling you, is all wrapped up in this song for me when I hear it. So I just remember listening to my Walkman, walking home from school, listening to Axis Bold is Love, and it just being the most hopeful sound, like uh, the whole record. Um, because, um, but anyway, so the, I associate all that stuff with listening to it, but, but the actual song itself is just like, obviously just so genius. Like the sounds, the way the drums work together and the, and the guitar sounds, I still don't even really know what he's doing. And I don't kind of don't want to know the, the guitar like weaves around in this way. Like it's almost like playing its own, it's like its own counter melody to the vocal melody. It's just, so good the whole thing and it's like the lyric the whole the music kind of to me it kind of like uh it like it explains what the lyrics are about or so it sounds so much like the lyrics and um it's just gorgeous um but anyway so i just really associate that record with this really hopeful time in my life where i had like come out of this depression and i was like in school playing music. So the high school I went to is this arts high school and we just practiced music. And um, it was just really a great place for me to go to school and a great place in, in general. It's just a really great school. It's a public arts school in DC. Um, yeah, I don't know. I remember my, my guitar teacher, Mr. Newman, he's this jazz guy. And I remember him saying, I was like, who's, who's the best guitar player? Mr. Newman, and he was like, well, definitely Jimi Hendrix. And to, <laughs> um, I associate that, like, with it. I mean, and like that, you know, my guitar teacher was like, came from a totally different place. He was like a jazz guy, but he said Hendrix was the best. <laughs> Even, anyway, I also associated it with like, with like um, rock and roll, like, because like, I, I don't know, like, it was like, it wasn't rebellion anymore to me. It was like something that, like, like my teacher said Hendrix is the best. Like, I don't like this. I mean, I'm not like getting into this music because I'm re a rebellious, bad teen. Like, this is this is actually beautiful art, um, obviously. But you know, I mean, when I was growing up, it was uh, I was from the '80s, and like, you know. I don't know. I grew up in DC. We didn't, there wasn't a heat, you know, there's punk and stuff when I was into that, but I just really am still from the generation where rock and roll was associated with rebellion, you know? And it was really a big realization to me that like, Oh, wait a second. Music is art. Adults do music. <laughs> it's not just like crazy kids, you know? Cause I was like in the punk scene and like, it really was very rebellious. I, you know, one thing I really realized as I was like thinking about these songs is so much of the the stuff that I thought about with this music is like has to do with the way that I heard it. You know, like it was on my Walkman that had so much to do with its impact on me. So, you you said you weren't quite sure what was up with this. Don't buy any records thing. She was it like you know it was a small house or you know, like a mid-modern sort of minimalist thing going on? No, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know why she didn't want us to buy right. I really don't. I mean, she does have a thing about not having a lot of stuff, but no, it's just, you know, I've, I don't know. I haven't really uh, figured it out. 
It, an interesting question. Like, I, I, I don't know if she was trying to limit our, limit our, um, I mean, obviously she was trying to limit something. I, I think it was just so that she didn't want to stuff around, but, um, yeah, it was strange, I guess. It just made, it made me think like music is not, you know, I'm sure at some level I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to like music or something at some deep level. But, um, but at the same time, she was very encouraging, you know, in other ways for me to do music. So it's just a weird combo. <laughs> I don't know. I got to think more about that. Well, so it sounds like during this period you were, you, you were learning to play guitar or you had started to learn to play guitar. Yeah. Um, and then, then you heard this, you know, you heard Jimi Hendrix who, you know, as you were, you know, informed was officially the greatest guitar player ever. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Was, was that inspirational or, or maybe daunting? Because I think a lot of people, you know, would hear someone that good and maybe be, Oh, I don't know. I was in, in so, I mean, my God, just, I didn't even listen to the guitar. It was just like pure magic. It was so inspirational. It was pure magic. Like I still, like literally still, I, I can't, it's so magical to me. I can't put it into words. I just love it. And it's just, it just sounds like pure fairy dust to me. And I don't even want to know what he's, what he's like as someone who teaches you know i teach kids guitar like uh i don't i will not touch those songs with anyone because i don't want to because like sometimes when you try to figure things out it kind of destroys the magic and i i've i did try to teach a couple kids hendrix songs which is well first of all they're not easy to teach <laughs> or play uh but yeah i'm not i want to take it apart because it just it's just perfect how it is and I don't want to touch it I, and I get the same reason I literally I don't even really listen to this Hendrix records that much because it's like so pure and genius to me that I it's like it's like you know when you <laughs> okay this I know it's sounding crazy but like like you can't you know like some religions you can't use God's name because they're it, it lets go some of the magic it's the same thing with like he he's pretty much to me like if I'm any religion it's like my religion is art, you know, and um, and he's a genius, so I worship geniuses. Um, <laughs> so it's not, it's pure God to me. You know, that song is pure, like, God. Anyway, I love it. Like, it makes me almost want to cry. I love it so much. Above me and you. The second song Timony chose as essential to her formation as an artist was Waiting for My Man by the Velvet Underground.
I really also associate with a very specific time in my life um, and a very specific way of listening to the song. Like, one rainy wish, like, I was listening to it through a Walkman. The next song, um, the Selvin Underground song, I, after college, I went to pick up my brother's car that he left in San Francisco, and I picked up my friend Maria. She lived in this, like, hippie uh, house called, like, the Moon House or something. I went to San Francisco. We hung out in her house, and then we proceeded to draw, have this kind of awesome cross-country trip back to D.C. Um, she had three tapes that we took in my brother's car. It was Velvet Underground, the Banana Record, Can. I, I was weird. I remember all of this visually because I, I, I can't pronounce the record. It's the one with the can on the front of it. I don't know. Uh, it has that weird name. And then also this like um, Sly and the Family Stone record. But anyway, so uh, yeah, so we listened to all three of those. I mean, it's like before the internet, you just like, you you know, it's like you had a record and you listened to, the, listened to it over and over again. It was such a different time. A lot of, you know, it was just such a different time, such a different time. Um, so... So anyway, I um, I had just had this experience with this Velvet Underground record in that car. First of all, the cassette player I found out later uh, it was very slow. So we were listening to this music all like it was like I'm not sure how slow, but like how many BPM slower, but considerably slower. <laughs> it was like what you called like sludge or, or it's like. It was like Cizurup, not Cizurup slow, but, but like, it was probably like 10, 10 BPM slower than it was really recorded. So that really had a probably influence how I heard this stuff too. Um, but up until this point, I, uh, you know, I, I grew up listening, you know, going to hardcore shows and I was around the whole eighties hardcore thing, like. I liked love Fugazi and love, you know, like Rights of Spring and stuff. And I, I knew I'd heard of music that had been, you know, take was subversive or whatever, but I just didn't really get it, I guess. Uh, I don't know what it was with this, with this one particular song, but something about it was just so subversive to me. And I just had my brain ripped open by it. Like, and I know a lot of people say that about the Velvet Underground, and I'm I'm one of those people. But um, it just tore everything I knew about music apart. And it was like, there's three chords in the song. The drums aren't even really playing. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of it has to do with the drums. The, you know, because the drums are just playing every quarter note. Do 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 do. Yeah. Um, and the, something about the way the rhythm guitar and the drums are working together under the lyric. Well, first of all, the lyrics are obviously what totally draws you in and the way his, his delivery is so good. Um, and then something about the way the music and the lyrics work together, it just makes you feel like there's something he's not telling you or, or like the music is telling you something different than what the lyrics are telling you. You know, like he's telling you this story about like getting drugs or whatever and like that it's fun and it's cool but then the music sounds like 
agitated or something. It's just, there's something really deep going on. I feel, I feel like in a song, maybe when they wrote it and they played it, they didn't, you know, it's like, everything is so subjective. And like, as a listener songs, I'm sure take on their own life, you know, that maybe the artist didn't mean, but that's what it meant to me. And it just ripped open uh, my brain. And I was just like, Oh shit. Like music can be two chords. And it just was so subversive and it just rearranged uh, what I knew music could do or something. Um, and I'll, fucking Lou Reed is just a genius. And I don't know. It's just great. <laughs> I, obviously, everyone knows. <laughs> so I'm not the first person. But, um, but anyway, yeah, so that's my take on that song. Had you started playing um, uh, music? out yourself yet had you started playing in bands yet oh uh, yeah yeah i did i had a band um called autoclave in dc and um it was the music that we played i it's very much not in this vein it was it was um you know we were going for like intricate little parts that work together and stuff um so maybe that's another reason why this sounded so different and interesting and then after yeah again after i went on that car trip and can too on that car trip i got super into that can record but um but anyway uh i guess i just realized how much lyrics can do and 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 how how little you you know here's the thing about velvet underground's like they did so much with so little like two chords and it's just so huge um that I just realized you can, yeah, just, you can be so powerful with just like what you don't say and, or what you do, you know, with something like that or something, you know, the lyric, the words can be so powerful and in just your delivery, also just his delivery. You're just like, what, what's he talking about? Like just so it's, he's such a good, you know, delivery was just so brilliant. I, I think a lot about, um, not, every day or anything, but, you know, I probably haven't heard that song and it's among your list. It's the one I haven't, I didn't go back and listen to because, you know, it's in my head and right. And haven't heard it probably actually listened to it in maybe four or five years, but, um, and I'm, you know, I, I will take the risk of embarrassing myself here. It's like up to Lexington, one, two, five, sick and dirty, more dead than alive, I think is how it goes. And I just, I've, yeah, you know, ever since I heard it, however many years ago, it's like up to Lexington, one, two, five. It's like, that was slick. That was really, it's like, you know, he's like getting to the end of the line or whatever. And I know he studied poetry in college, but, yeah. you know, it's like, that's just such a weird thing to do and i mean it's like wait what is wait one two five what is one two five i've always assumed he was talking about like 125th street oh yeah 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 but and you know i don't know maybe i could go to genius or something that didn't exist in 19 whatever when i first heard this song uh and it will enlighten me that that's not what it actually means um but you know it's just it just always struck me it's like you know you're right that's that's pretty slick that's smart that's good lyric writing and you know yeah and he was oh, he was yeah. relatively speaking i mean he was lou reed already of course yes but relatively speaking he was a kid yeah so In the, i mean but yeah it's incredible what comes out of people's brains i mean thinking of like all the stuff that hendrix 
did before you died is 26 years old. I I mean, it's just crazy what people, it's crazy how fast people develop like from little babies into adults and like all the things they do and learn and so fast. I don't know. Humans are, humans are, are kind of (laughs) cool. You know, they do some, some wild stuff. They really think of some weird, crazy, cool things. So, you know, at least two generations uh, of, of people have been um, influenced uh, by the Velvet Underground and have taken a lot away from them. Um, uh-huh. But I wonder if that really happens anymore. Like, do any of your guitar students ever want to learn? Um, no. Good point. No. The only, you know, I, I right now I just mostly have little kids. So um, I can't, don't have a good take on that but i did have one student who is now in college and she's really no more into so everything i think of like as her generate her it comes through like one one person so i'm (laughs) i'm not an expert but i have noticed actually i've taught some other people her age recently and um they don't in my experience, go back that far, you know, just like we didn't, I, I didn't, I went back to, to the sixties and these people that are her age, I believe are going back to the nineties and, you know, mostly, but I could be wrong. Um, and everybody's different. I don't know. I have, I actually did have some teenagers like five or six years ago that were into like every genre because it's, well, the thing is like, okay, here's the thing is that the, obviously the hugest difference between these generations is that every genre is available to them in two seconds and their minds are so open because uh, they can generally, I think they, they're just not shocked as much. Like that's like when I heard this Velvet Underground song, it was shocking to me. Like, and it, I can't explain why, because my, my, you know, it was like a different language. And like, we don't really have that experience anymore um, because people can hear lots of different stuff very easily. Um, so yeah, I feel like we came from a different time. We well, obviously did, but from it's like a huge generational shift or whatever. It's like a huge divide in how we listen and understand music. Definitely, yeah. The final song Timothy chose as being crucial to her was All Is Loneliness by Moondog. Came along in a, 
shifted the way I thought about things. I had been in helium and been on the road a bunch um, and had was going through the probably the first episode of something that I've gone through a bunch of times now of just being like, I don't want to play rock music anymore. I'm sick of this shit. Like, it's hard. It's so hard to be on tour and not really making any money to come home. Like, especially when I lived in Boston, have, you know, come home and like not have enough money to like live for more than three months with having, you know, I had to get um, um, temp jobs and hospitals and shit. And it just like was really hard. So I was definitely at that point where it's like, all right, I've done. And a lot of people get there and they stop. <laughs> but I kind of did, but that's key. I keep going back to it because I love it. <laughs> I keep going back to music. So anyway, I was in one of those phases where it's like, all right, I, I'm not sure if I can play rock music anymore. So anyway, so my boyfriend at the time worked in a record store, Ash, who worked in in her in your ear records in Boston, it was bringing home all these CDs, and um, we were listening to. Uh, a bunch of Moondog at the time. And it just happened to be at, on the record player or CD player a lot in our apartment while I was kind of going through this, just like throwing away rock music in my head. And um, and the thing I, I mean, and so I really associate Moondog with that time. Uh, and um, I think the thing that really I latched onto is that it's just not a genre. It's not, it's its own genre. Like, and this guy, Moondog himself was just his own person. And um, I just find that so inspiring um, in itself, regardless of, you know, regardless of, of what he made, his, his whole thing is inspiring. I mean, I, I love people that are just, willing to put themselves out there and be themselves um, and not, you know, just do, just do, you know, do art, I guess, in such a bold way. So, yeah, I mean, he, he had this really cool story. He was like, he's kind of this, you know, genius musician and like he was blind. He uh, went blind to think when as a team and, um, and then made, you know, I, I think he made he made records. I don't really quite know his whole story, but I do know that he busked on the street a lot in New York, and that's how he's sort of known. Um, uh, but anyway, so it's really inspiring music. Uh, he his the like it's not really you know like the percussion. I don't even you know it's like a rain stick and you know hand drums and um, there's a lot of rounds. Uh, the melodies are in rounds and. Um, anyway, so it just, um, I think I was really inspired by the instrumentation and stuff on those records, um, to just not make rock music anymore. So, uh, and then I made a record, um, the so first solo record I did called Mountains is actually, it's getting reissued in month tomorrow, comes out tomorrow. <laughs> and I made that around the time, <laughs> around the time that I was listening to his records a lot. When I saw when I saw that you had picked that, I I wondered if that wasn't the connection because mm -hmm. you know there are parts of that record that are very much 
kind of stripped down, you know, like you and piano and percussion. Yeah. And it sort of felt like a little bit of a a reset moment, maybe. So I think I was just kind of like starting over in my head, just like going like, I know I want to be, you know, make, I, I love making music and I like being creative. Um, but I don't necessarily want to make rock music. That's where I was in the, in my head at the time. Yeah. But, you know, you've sort of gone back to rock music since then. Yes. Yeah. I've I've had a lot of phases. (laughs) I get tired of stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, just sounds, sounds get, you know, you get, it's just like, you, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if you always wear like the same sweater all the time, you probably get tired of it. It's the same with sounds. Like if you always play with distortion, maybe, you know, after a couple of years, you want to play without distortion because that sounds more cool. (laughs) Sort of that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and if you can do all these things, why not? So. Sure. Yeah. It keeps it interesting. Uh, Years ago, so long ago that I don't even remember who told me. Uh, someone told me that you can do anything you want in this world as long as you don't make a lot of money at it. Whoa. Wait, let me think about that. That's like the story of my life. <laughs> that like, pretty much sums it up. And it's, you know, to be honest, it is, it's, it, there's rewarding things about both ways of working, I'm sure, but that's the one I chose. So there's not a lot of music money in like, you know, right. Playing rain stick on us, rain stick on the street, but there's people that are going to do that. And I love them. And, and like, why else be on the, in the world really, you know, that's just, I chose the, I, that's why I chose when I was like 15. I was like, I'm, I'm going to be one of those people that I probably would have ended up being a busker, you know? My brother did. My brother was a busker for many years all around Europe. He's a totally incredible musician and has never made any records or anything. Just he's written hundreds of songs. He plays guitar like tapping with two hands like Stanley Jordan. He busked all around Europe for uh, a long time after college, five years or something. Well, and, you know, the particular busker in question, I mean, you know, we just spent 10 minutes talking about Moondog and he's been dead probably for what, 10, 20 years. So. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's a gift, you know, that's one thing I've really realized in this pandemic is like music is, is a real gift to people. Um, You know, cause when you, right. It's like, we're sitting here talking about him because he's given us uh, something beautiful and it's, it's, you know, a really cool thing. Um, anyway, I appreciate that when people make cool music. <laughs> it's fun for me because I get to listen to it. <laughs> this has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. To get in touch, get more information, or buy Essential Tremors merchandise, go to essentialpodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening.